the book of Jonah. So I'm going to invite you all to please stand up, open your Bibles to Jonah chapter 1, and let's hear what God has to say to us. Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went on board to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. It's the word of the Lord for us this morning. Let's go ahead and pray together. Father God, thank you so much that we get to be a family, a church family, and that, and that Lord, that you empower us through your spirit and through your word for us to go across this globe to spread the good news of who you are, who Jesus is, what he's done for us, Lord. And then we get to do that right here in our own backyards as well. As we open up God's word today, I pray, Lord, that your spirit would teach us, that you would uh, motivate us, empower us, Lord, that as we leave this place, we would look and act, uh, be more like your son, who you are growing us up to be. Uh, so we pray this in his name. Amen. How many people like to go to the fair? A lot of people like to go to the fair, or maybe you like to go to the carnival or someplace like that. You know, one of, the, one of the fun places and things to do when you're at a carnival or a fair or, uh, or a circus or something like that is to go to the, um, the funhouse mirrors, right? You stand in front of the mirrors, or you make your friends stand in front of the mirrors so you can laugh at them, right? So it's, they, they distort your image, and it's really fun. I really wanted to get one up on stage, and I, I, couldn't, I couldn't find one in such short notice. But, you know, hey, these things have all these apps that you can do uh, really fun things on. Um, and so I used some of my kids as some guinea pigs. And uh, so check out, we have, I think we have Lydia up first. So um, she wanted the big nose and she wanted the alien head. So that's Lydia. And then, uh, then Rachel took a turn. Um, and Rachel just looks a little disturbing right now. <laughs> kind of scares me. I had to get in on the action as well. So I took a couple pictures of me. Really close and really far. So, um, fun stuff, right? Fun stuff. But here's the thing with mirrors. Mirrors reflect reality, don't they? That's what mirrors do. Um, most everybody here this morning, except for the junior high boys, stood in front of a mirror this morning to see how they looked and comb their hair and brush their teeth and all that sort of thing, right? Um, and the best mirror we have is this book. This book is the best mirror that we have because uh, it reflects how we are to be growing to become more like Jesus and show us the areas of our life that need more attention. The Bible is our best mirror. And as we look at the book of Jonah today, one powerful feature of the book of Jonah is that it is designed to be a mirror for ourselves. The book of Jonah is designed to be a mirror for ourselves. Why? Because Jonah is very unique amongst the prophets, okay? Um, Jonah is unique as it is the story of the prophets versus a book about the prophet's message. 
You catch that? Jonah is about the prophet, not just the message, which means we're given this particular story, God-inspired for this story to be in the Bible for us to explore Jonah's actions, Jonah's attitudes, and Jonah's motivations in order for us to take a long look at ourselves. That's why we have the book of Jonah. Now, when we come to Scripture, when we come to stories like this, we need to keep a really important thing in mind. And that important thing is this, is who is the main character of the story? Who is the main character of the book? Who is the main character of the entire Bible? Who's the main character? God's the main character. Even though Jonah probably wrote this, and even though it bears his name, Jonah is not the main character. God is the main character. When we read the Bible, when we read the Bible, we need to remember that the Bible is about God and his story. The Bible is not about you. The Bible is not about me. The Bible is not about any of the characters that we come across in it. We need to be careful and remember that we need to put ourselves in the right place of the story. Okay? So, when we read Jonah, Jonah is not about giving us a great example to follow. Jonah's not a good guy in this story. He's not a good guy. He spends most of the story being angry, being rebellious, being reluctant, being bitter, sulking, being self-absorbed. Much like a 15-year-old. That's Jonah in the story. I know I'm picking on teenagers today. It's been a rough parenting week, so just pray for me. (laughs) Jonah, out of four chapters, we get two verses. We get two verses that show us something that he said and did that's worth emulating out of four chapters. First one is this, um, is in Jonah chapter 2, verse 9, and many people say this is the centerpiece of the entire Scripture, okay, which is pretty cool. Jonah 2, 9 says, Jonah declares salvation belongs to the Lord. So that's something we can all say with gusto, right? Salvation belongs to the Lord. Let's just say that right now. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Yeah, we can say that all day long. The other thing is the thing that he did. In Jonah chapter 3, verse 3, this was after he got vomited up out of the fish. It says, So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Jonah showed obedience in this verse. So he had a declaration and he had a moment of obedience. Those are the two verses out of the entire book. We can say, yeah, do, do what Jonah did there. Now, We've been doing this series on all these Bible characters, right? And we are getting glimpses into these characters to teach us very specific lessons. Here's what I mean. The story that we're reading in Jonah probably happened within about two months out of Jonah's entire life. Would you want your whole life to be judged out of just two months that someone plucks out of it? No. 
So we want to keep that in mind. We don't want to completely throw Jonah under the bus, but God gave us the story for a really specific reason, and that's where we're going to jump in here too. So when we read the Bible, we want to keep in mind that we're getting a glimpse of a part of their story. Um, we keep in mind that just because something is described in the Bible doesn't mean it's prescribed in the Bible. We want to keep that in mind too. We want to keep in mind what Paul wrote in the New Testament where he said, follow me as I follow Christ, right? Because even Paul said, hey, there are some things about my life you probably shouldn't do, right? He wrote a, practically the whole chapter of Romans 7 is about that. But the parts where you see me really submitting my life to the Lord, you know, do that. Do that. Um, we see all this. We need to keep in mind that every leader, every leader is flawed. Every pastor sins, okay? Everyone struggles in some way. There has been and only ever will be one perfect person, and his name is Jesus Christ. I say all this because we look at the brokenness of us, and we are encouraged that God still chooses to use broken and messed up people, doesn't he? You know, uh, we see the broken and flawed, and we see their moments of great faith. And in the next chapter, we see their moments of weak faith. That, that's, that's what we see. So I say this on one hand, hey, give your leaders, give your pastors a break. Give them some grace, okay? Um, allow them to be Christians working out their own salvation with fear and trembling. Allow that. Let's not put the pedestal up too high. I also say this is to give yourselves some grace. Who here needs more grace in their life? Yeah. Yeah, we all do. Listen, I'm not telling you to, get, to make excuses for yourself. Not by any means. Don't make excuses. But I do implore you, courageously face your unbelief. Repent and move forward in faith towards Christ. And let's make sure that our only full allegiance is to the author and perfecter of our faith, King Jesus. Amen? All right. So with that, let's jump into Jonah. Now the opening verses of Jonah, these first three verses, we see God's call to Jonah and we see Jonah's response. And his response is that he ran. That's his response. He ran. Um, he ran from God. He ran from his mission field. He ran from Nineveh. Nineveh. Nineveh was a great city full of nasty people. That's Nineveh, okay? They were bitter, brutal enemies of Israel. God says in these verses that their evil has come up before me. Their evil has come up before me. But instead of calling them to destruction like he did with the world, with Noah and the flood, like he did with Sodom and Gomorrah. Instead of calling for their destruction, he calls for their repentance because he's a good and gracious and merciful God, isn't he? So Tarshish, this, this place that Jonah was fleeing to, we need to remember this is the exact opposite direction of where Nineveh was. It's like, God said, Jonah, go turn right. Okay, I'm turning left. That's what Jonah did. And Tarshish is, man, say that five times fast. Tarshish. 
Tarshish is where most scholars believe that's where modern-day Spain is. This was the end of the known world back then. So the dude couldn't run any farther, right? I mean, Jonah's like, talk about going all in. He went all in the wrong way. That's what he's doing. But Jonah was not only running away from his call. It says in these verses twice, he's running away from the presence of the Lord. Now, Jonah, come on, Jonah. You're a Hebrew prophet, Jonah. I think he forgot the writings of David in Psalm 139, where David said, Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, Jonah, getting thrown overboard, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. There's no running away from God's presence. Now, he was trying to get away from what we would call his manifest presence, his felt presence. I mean, that's one reason why we come to church today, right? To have a little taste of God's manifest presence in our lives as a church. He's certainly getting away from that. But you can't run away from God's presence. But the question that we're faced with is why did he run? Why did Jonah run? This doesn't tell us. It just says he ran. We do find out why, though, in chapter 4. And so we've got to tell the story a little bit to get there. Uh, but before we get there, let me pause for just a moment and ask this question, because we can answer this a little bit more, a little better. Why do we run? Why do I run? Why do you run? You know, for our purposes, we're going to define running as this. Running is avoiding something or someone you should be lovingly engaging. That's how we're going to define running for today. And this could look like a variety of things. This could look like withdrawal. I'm just going to pull away from everybody. Uh, it could, this could be, I am going to go and do something else. I should be doing this, but I'm going to go do this. Um, this could be allowing distractions to stay in your life that prevent you from doing what God has called you to do. Um, it could be making excuses. It could be ignoring. It could take the form of holding on to hurt, bitterness, and unforgiveness. Those are all languages of running in our lives. I uh, came across a quote this week by Christian author Bob Goff. And he talks about running in a relational sense here. He says, the type of people we spend most of our lives avoiding are the type of people Jesus spent most of his life engaging. Ouch. Ouch. So generally, we run because we're threatened. That's why we run. We, we run. We run because we're threatened. We feel danger. We have other feelings of being scared, of being hurt, being uncomfortable with the differences of others, being angry, or we're just being selfish. Because here's, here's the deal. We're threatened because our preferences of life and rhythm of life is getting interrupted in ways that we wouldn't choose. And that makes us uncomfortable. You see, God interrupted Jonah's life. We don't know what Jonah was doing. I don't know what he did. I mean, did he farm? 
You know, when he wasn't being a prophet? You know, was he a businessman? I don't know, but he was doing something, and God's call came into his life, and it interrupted his rhythm, and he didn't like it. You know, when, when my wife called me for that, that Safe Families hosting in October, that interrupted our rhythm. That interrupted our life for a couple days. Okay? Hey, this is what God will do to you. God will mess you up. He will mess your life up. He will interrupt your life. But we've got to remember that he's doing that for something much better than we can ever dream of us coming up with. Okay? Embrace that. So here's the thing. Are you currently running from something? Are you currently running? Are, are, you, are you running from something that God is calling you to do? You've been pushing it away. You've been, you've been trying to get away from it. So are you running from a service opportunity? Are you running from a mission opportunity? Some of you in a couple weeks are going to be in a godly way inspired to live on mission and to go somewhere. And the very next moment, you're going to start playing the tape in your head of why you maybe can or shouldn't do it. Prepare for that. Are you running from a leadership opportunity? Are you running from a giving opportunity? Relationally, is there a broken relationship in your life that you really aren't doing your part in making whole again? You're not apologizing. You're not forgiving. You're, you're not praying for that person. You're not loving or serving them, and you're running in that way. What are you running from? You're running from something. As we look at Jonah's reasons for running, and we see God's response to him, we're going to be able to honestly and courageously assess ourselves, use it as a mirror, and yet be encouraged with how God responds to us. So let's do that. Let's uh, recap the story real quick. Here's where the story's been so far. In chapter 1, we, Jonah gets the call, and Jonah goes the other way. He flees. He runs. He's on the boat. He's in the sea. He's with the pagan sailors. And the Scripture says God hurls a storm. Major league pitcher winding up. Hurls a storm. The pagan sailors cast lots. They find out that it's Jonah's fault. All this is happening. He says, throw me overboard. They throw him overboard. God calms the storm, and the pagan sailors repent. It says they fear and worship God. Chapter 2, well, at the end of chapter 1, Jonah is then swallowed by a great fish. What kind of fish was it? It was a great fish. That's all we know. A great fish came and swallowed Jonah. And then we get to chapter 2, and chapter 2 in its entirety is a prayer of Jonah from the belly of the fish. He gets to verse 9 in the prayer, and he says, salvation belongs to the Lord. And at that declaration, the, the fish, this is kind of funny, vomits him out. Vomits him out. Chapter 3, God's second call to Jonah. Jonah go to Nineveh. This time, Jonah goes to Nineveh. He gives a message to Nineveh, which is interesting. It's a whole other sermon in itself. But the pagan Ninevites repent. They repent. It worked. It worked. And God relents from their impending judgment. So that's Jonah 1 through 3. Now we get to chapter 4, but we have to pause and notice a disturbing pattern. The pagan sailors repented. The pagan Ninevites 
repented. But the Hebrew prophet who says he fears the Lord didn't. It's a little disturbing if you ask me. Why? Let's, well, that's what we're going to find out. Chapter 4 is the key to the whole story because Jonah finally is honest about why he was doing what he's doing. So as we look at chapter 4, and we're going to use this as a mirror for us, we're going to find out three things. We're going to look at three things. One, we're going to look at Jonah's condition. Secondly, we're going to look at God's character. And thirdly, we're going to look at our choice. Okay, you got that? Jonah's condition, God's character, our choice. That's where we're going. So first, Jonah's condition. Jonah chapter 4, verses 1 and verse 9 says this, But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. Skip to verse 9. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? We'll talk about this plant in a minute. And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. Jonah was angry. Everybody say angry. Say it like you're angry. Angry. Yeah, that's what Jonah was. Jonah was angry. Jonah was angry because the Ninevites repented. How does that make sense? He was angry that they repented. He would have preferred their destruction to their repentance. He would have preferred God's judgment versus God's grace for the Ninevites. Now listen, everybody. Before we jo throw Jonah under the bus too much, let's remember that there are Christians, very sadly in this world, that call for God's judgment and destruction of people instead of calling for their repentance. They do this to people groups that are different, that make them uncomfortable, that these, their evil has risen up before them, right? They're putting themselves in a position to God. Whether it's Muslims, whether it's homosexuals, whether it's terrorists, whether it's abortionists, I mean, whatever. I mean, these are the, these are the groups, the people groups today that we see people who say they're God's people treating them like that. So, we also see with Jonah that he was also angry when this plant that one day gave him shade withered the next day and he was out there baking in the heat. You see, the only thing that was going to make Jonah happy was his own comfort. Jonah had this idol in his life, this, this God in his life of his own comfort. He wanted to see things happen according to his preferences. So much so, he says, when God says, are you angry about this plant? Yeah, I'm so angry about this plant. A plant, people, that I want to die. You know, have you ever wanted judgment more than repentance on someone because you were just feeling so hurt and angry? Have you ever been angry because your comfort in your life was compromised? I think probably all of us, for really honest, we'd say yes. So you know what, everyone? We are Jonah. Jonah was also bitter. We see this in verse 2. 
verse 2, he says, he said he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, because I knew you were all these great things. And the last great thing that God is is relenting from disaster. And Jonah was bitter because of that. He was bitter. He's holding the Ninevites' repentance against God because of God's good character. He's holding on to wrongs done against his people and against his country. And I believe he's also bitter that God called him to a different people group because he was a prophet to the Hebrews, to Israel. I wasn't called to be a foreign missionary. I'm a prophet here. I think he was bitter against that too. The Bible gives us a dire warning against bitterness. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15, it says, See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. Do you hear what bitterness does? Bitterness blocks grace. It blocks you from experiencing grace in your life. Bitterness defiles many it spreads like a plague to the people around you. It doesn't just affect you. It's social. Bitterness is bad news, and Jonah was eat up with it. You know, have you ever let bitterness prevent grace in your life? Have you ever seen your bitterness cause problems, defile other people in your life? Have you ever held on to bitterness when you should be forgiving? If so, you know what? We are Jonah. We see in verses 8 and 9, Jonah was full of self-pity. He was full of self-pity. Uh, verse 8 um, starts, says, when the sun rose, this is about the plant again, God appointed a scorching east wind. The sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint, and he asked that he might die. It's hot. I God, take me now. He said, it's better for me to die than to live. And again, God says, does it, do, do you do well to be angry for the plant? Yeah, angry enough to die. Jonah is full of self-pity. Now listen, everyone, self-pity is a deadly form of pride. We think of pride being like self-congratulating and self-righteous and all that, but listen, self-pity is a dangerous form of pride because the focus is on what? Self. That's pride defined. It's a focus on you. Jonah was so upset over not having shade from the plant, he wanted to die. He was so angry, and he remained falsely justified in his anger. He convinced himself it was the right thing to be angry over. Now, we can be objective. We can be objective, and we can read this, and we can see the ridiculousness of Jonah's self-pity tantrum, can't we? Like, really? You're angry enough to die because you don't have some shade? I mean, we can see that, but listen, don't we throw fits in our own way? Don't we pout? Don't we stomp? Don't we, don't, I mean, don't we do that in our own way when we don't get what we want, when our comforts are removed from us? Aren't the things that we're so upset over 
ultimately not worthy of that type of anger and bitterness and self-pity because in eternity's light, it doesn't matter. Don't we do that? Yeah, we do. You know what, everybody? We are Jonah. We're Jonah. We need to remember God is the central character of the Bible. He has every right to wipe out not just the Ninevites, not just the pagan sailors on the boat, but he has every right to wipe out his angry, bitter, self-pitying prophet. God would be justified in doing that because he's a holy God. He has every right to do that, but he doesn't. But God doesn't. Jonah rightly describes God in verse 2. He says this about God. He says, I knew you were a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. That's a truth about God that Jonah just spoke. You know, um, I hope all of you are doing some sort of regular Bible reading every day. Uh, I'm doing a Bible reading plan, and God in his grace and mercy and sovereignty, um, I was reading Exodus 34 this week. The first time in the Bible, God's talking to Moses and God describes himself. He says this in Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7, the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness and keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. Jonah quoted Exodus 34, 6 and 7. He knows the truth about God. So let's look at these wonderful truths about God. God is gracious and merciful. Grace, everybody, is getting what you don't deserve, getting a good thing that you don't deserve. Mercy is removing a punishment that you do deserve. Removing a punishment that you do deserve. You see, God called Jonah to a ministry two times. God of a second chance. God revealed to the sailors Jonah's responsibility. He exercised his sovereignty over those lots that were cast. God sent the fish to save Jonah versus having a shark eat the guy. God gave the Ninevites a chance to repent. All of those are acts of grace and mercy throughout the whole book. That's God's character that we see. The second thing we see about God's character is that he is slow to anger. He's not quick to anger like Jonah, not quick to anger like us. God is slow to anger. God could have rained fire and brimstone down on Nineveh. He could have done that. God could have punished Jonah as soon as he ran. He could have done that. God could have sternly put Jonah in his place in chapter 4, just like he did to Job. At the end of the book of Job, you guys ever read Job? You know, Job spent some time 
after that disaster's happened in the first couple chapters, Job's complaining, his three idiot friends are complaining, you know, and Jonah's getting mouthy, or Job is getting mouthy back to God. And so for like three chapters, three or four chapters, God puts Job in his place. God didn't do that to Jonah. He didn't do, he was slow to anger. God didn't do any of those things, even though he would have been fully justified to. God showed great patience and kindness because that's who God is. God wants repentance more than disaster in your life. God also abounds in steadfast love. Steadfast means extreme devotion and loyalty and being immovable. That's what steadfast means. No matter what Jonah did, no matter where Jonah went, no matter what Jonah said, God was always there. From the end of the world to the bottom of the sea, God was always there, abounding in steadfast love for Jonah. And then he relents from disaster. Sin demands payment, right? The evil rose up. Sin demands payment. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. Sin demands payment. We will reap what we we will. Spiritually, relationally, emotionally, psychologically, physical damage can happen over our zeal when we want God to be a fair, righteous God punishing sin, judging sin. Tell you what, that could eat you up in the wrong way. Because if you really want God to be fair over his treatment of sin, you know what he's going to do? He's going to wipe you out right now because you broke half the, the commandments on the way to church today. Julie's going to break half the other commandments watching the Patriots game this afternoon. <laughs> right? Listen, if God was treating sin fairly, we would not be here. But repenting from our sin, turning to God in faith, causes God to relent from disaster. When we see evil, disastrous, idolatrous of our sin and we turn from it to God in faith, God in his grace and his mercy and his patience and his steadfast love, he relents from the justifiable disaster that comes our way. God loves repentance. He loves, loves, loves repentance. So now we're faced with our choice. We looked at we looked at Jonah's character. Uh, we, uh, we looked at you know, Jonah's condition. We looked at God's character. And now we're looking at our choice. So the first choice is this. Choose to face our sin and repent. That's our first choice. Confession means to agree with. Yes, I am a sinner. Yes, this was wrong. Yes, I should have done that. Yes, my heart is turned towards this, which is taking my my love and devotion and deepest desire away from Jesus. Yes, you agree with those things. You agree that it's wrong and you repent from doing things your own way. I'm going down this way, but I'm going to stop and I'm going to change my mind. I'm going to turn and I'm going to go this way. That's what repenting is towards Jesus. The second choice is this. Choose to forgive and let go of bitterness and anger in your life. God asked Jonah a couple times, how's it going for you being angry? going well for you? The answer is no. 
How many of you who sit in your anger for any period of time actually has it go well? Right. It doesn't happen. Holding on to bitterness and anger does not reflect who God is and will do nothing but destroy you from the inside out. Forgiveness is choosing to not hold another sin against them and entrusting them to God. That's what forgiveness is. The third choice is this. Choose to be gracious, merciful, and compassionate like God is, like God has treated you graciously, mercifully, compassionately. This will be the fruit of your repentance of faith. When you've truly repented of your sin in your own way and you turn towards God, grace and mercy and compassion flow freely out of your life. Our character reflects God's character when we treat others like he has treated us. So here is my thing, guys. Listen, lay off of other people. Just lay off a little bit. Treat your sin as your biggest problem. I'm going to ask our prayer teams to please come forward as we wrap this up. Some of you in this room, some of you in this room are just like the Ninevites, are just like the pagan sailors. You are far from God and you are lost on your own. You're lost in your sin. But here's what I want to encourage you all with. God is there. God is here. God has brought you here in his grace and his love for you to find his grace and his love and to find forgiveness that is only offered through his son Jesus that lived the life that you couldn't live and died the death you should have died and rose on that third day. You have a chance to put your faith in Jesus. You just cry out to him, Lord, save me. You come down and you, you meet with one of these prayer teams and they would be glad to pray with you over that. Some of you in here are like Jonah. Some of you believe and trust in Jesus, but you're running and you've been disobedient and you've been eaten up with bitterness and anger. Some of you are like Jonah. But here's what I want to tell you. God is still there. God is still here. God is being patient and kind toward you and he's showing you steadfast love. Will you repent today and respond to God by coming to him and have the only place that you run is down the aisle to the altar and receive some prayer and cry out to God. That's where you should run today. Wherever you are, God is here. And God is a good God full of grace and mercy and compassion. He will never leave you nor forsake you. And we will now, I invite you to come into his presence and we will respond with repentance and we will respond with prayer and we will respond with worship. So please stand with me. Father God, we thank you for being that good God, gracious and merciful, abounding in steadfast love, 
relenting from disaster, being slow to anger. Father, all of us are running somehow. All of us are, some of us are lost and need you. We need to come back to you. Lord, give us now the courage to face our sin and repent from it, knowing that your arms are open wide, waiting for us, loving us. We praise you for that. Thank you for this mirror of Jonah. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.